pray.
Good evening. The hearty ones who are out. Love it. And for those who are worshiping with us, uh, we're worshiping, having, uh, participating in our Lenten series uh, online as well. Welcome. So just a couple of brief announcements uh, that we do have our movie night. So our movie night is this coming Saturday at uh, 7 p.m. There is free popcorn. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and soft drinks as well. Or if you're from the Midwest, pop. There you go. And water. And water. All right, then the men's breakfast is coming up uh, this coming Monday, 8 a.m. at Phil's Filling Station. Also on Monday, we have Hands of Joy that's meeting here at the church from 10 to 12 noon. And as uh, you know from our Lenten series, it's a little bit different, a little more casual. So uh, our time, we have opening songs, testimony, walk of faith. Judy Agee is going to be giving her, uh, sharing her walk of faith tonight. Then another song, then I'm going to be doing a talk and prayer as we did last time. We'll do it in small groups. And then our closing song. Um, we are not only live streaming, but we are recording this. And then it takes me a while, though, to get just the talk but I am uh, editing the talk, so we'll put those online, and those will be permanently on our website as well, because I think it, this is important information for everyone to have. Okay, and then, uh, as you know, the talks are, what is the AFLC? Tonight, it is, what does it mean to be a free and living congregation? And I fixed the spelling of congregation from Sunday. Yes, thank you. English as a second language. Yes, it was just a test, right? Nobody would have noticed except for it being pointed out, right? Would have just slid on by, oh, <laughs> like it the other way, provide some humor. All right, let's, would you stand and let's sing some songs. Praise the Lord in song. story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to 
Son, I tell it all to Thee. I love to tell the story, t'will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest and when in scenes of glory I sing the new new song twill be the old old story that I have loved so long I love to tell the story will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his be seated. And Judy, 
Would you please come up? Good evening. My walk of faith, like many of you, began when I was quite young. In fact, I was so young that my faith began before I could walk. My mother's side of the family was deeply rooted in the First Baptist Church in downtown San Francisco. The church, planted in 1849, was the first Protestant church established in California. My ancestors, going back to my great-grandparents, served at the church to honor them when the church built the structure that is currently there, the family name of Oxendine was added to one of the stained glass windows. That was where I was first baptized. My grandmother was in charge of the nursery where I first heard hymns sung. Then I graduated to my great aunt's kindergarten class where we learned all the words to those songs as well as Bible stories. My favorite song was Onward Christian Soldiers. When I was around five or six years old, we moved from our small apartment to a larger apartment on the second floor of an old Victorian house. The backside of the house had a very long set of stairs that went down to the ground level. My sister, about two years old at the time, fell all the way down those stairs. I ran to get my mother, and my sister was taken by ambulance to St. Mary's Hospital. To this day, I can still see my sister lying unconscious at the bottom of those stairs. My sister hovered near death for, and remained unconscious for nearly two weeks. At the time, the rules were that you had to be an adult to be allowed in the intensive care unit. My mother told me to bring my books with me when we went daily to the hospital to keep me entertained while I sat in the waiting room alone for long periods of time. That would never fly today. (laughs) After two weeks went by, a couple of nuns walked by and noticed me in the waiting room and asked where my mother was. I told them she was visiting my sister. They briefly disappeared, probably to find out about my sister, and came back and asked if I would like to pray for her. Of course, I said yes. They took me to the hospital's chapel, where they lit what seemed like a hundred candles. I prayed that God would give me my sister back, because I missed her so much. Years later, I heard my mother telling the story about my sister regaining consciousness during the afternoon the nuns took me away to pray. Two days later, she was released from the hospital. Was all this just a coincidence? I think not. I believe God heard the prayer of a child and that my sister is alive and well today because of his mercy and healing. Sometime later, we moved to San Jose, where my parents bought a house. We searched for a church and found most of them unsuitable. 
we ended up at a Methodist church, which was the closest thing to the Baptist church we were familiar with. I started attending Sunday school there, but wasn't impressed with the teacher I had at all. He tried to relate to our preteen class by referring to Jesus as J.C. and being cool, lowering his standards to be one of us. Even at my young age, I thought that was unacceptable, and I lost respect for him. I think that was my first step at pulling away from the church. My family fell on hard times after that. Our house was taken away from us. We stopped going to church altogether, probably because my parents didn't want the embarrassment of not being able to contribute to the collection plate. When I was in my 20s, I had all the arrogance a 20-year-old could possibly have. I was in control of my life, and I was determined to be much more successful than my parents had been. I started attending college, worked very hard at a large corporation, rising through the ranks, and made a pretty decent salary. Most of all, I decided I didn't need God. I was going to make my own happiness. Except, I wasn't happy. Many years later, I finally realized the hole in my heart was there because it was the church and worshiping God that I was missing. My mother-in-law told me about a pastor in Kingman named Steve Bergeson, who had recently moved down to Fountain Hills and was leading the flock at a nearby church. A Lutheran church? I had no clue what Lutherans believed in. But because my mother-in-law said I had to go and listen to one of his sermons, I decided to give it a try. From the first sermon on, I was hooked. It was as if Pastor Steve was looking into my heart and knew what I needed to hear. A few years later, I attended a weekend retreat where it all came together for me. I felt God's love like I had never felt it before. Another thing I learned was that I should pray for God's will to work in my life. When I left the retreat, I was utterly exhausted. I had slept on a strange bed in a strange place with strangers around me for three nights. I was so excited to get home. But on the way to Fountain Hills, my sponsors told me that there would be a potluck at the church, so I wasn't going to get home right away. It was all I could do to keep the disappointment off my face, and I'm sure I didn't do a good job of it. I was captive in their car, so what could I do? The potluck turned out to be lovely. I was seated at a table with my good friends Malvina and Beth. Beth had been diagnosed with Parkinson's a couple of years earlier, and it was progressing rapidly. I asked her how she was doing, and she started telling me about a surgical procedure that was helping Parkinson's patients. I won't go into all the details, but the procedure involved being awake while surgeons operated on your brain. She was excited about the possibilities because the surgery was going to greatly improve the quality of life she had. Then she mentioned a man who lived in town, Alan Cruikshank, 
who had been through the same surgery before. She really, really wanted to meet him and ask him questions about his experience. I knew Alan was the editor of the Fountain Hills Times, and a friend of mine worked for the paper, so I thought maybe I could help set up a meeting. Well, I finally got home that night. My husband, Steve, was going to be at a concert at the Presbyterian Church and asked me to join him if I wasn't too tired. Ha! I told myself there was no way I was going to that concert. As I was putting all my things away, a voice said, you need to go to that concert. I started arguing with myself. Nope, not going to do it. The voice, and it was as clear as I'm talking to you now, said twice more, you need to go. Oh my, really? You're not going to give up, are you? So I went. The church was packed. There must have been 500 people there. I couldn't find my husband at all, so I just, excuse me, I just found a seat near the back of the church and sat down. So I continued looking through the crowds over all the tops of the heads, looking for my husband, and I finally noticed a gentleman sitting directly across the aisle from me. It was Alan Cruikshank. Then I became as excited as a child on Christmas morning. This is why I had to go to that concert. Again, no coincidences. At the end of the concert, I got up, went across the aisle, introduced myself, and told Mr. Cruikshank that a very good friend of mine had to meet him and why. He was very gracious and immediately agreed to speak with Beth. They met and became fast friends. Beth had the surgery done, and it did indeed help the quality of her life during her last years. They are both together in heaven now, but I was happy that God used me to introduce them. She left me one of her crosses, which I love to wear, in her memory. I am beyond delighted to continue my faith walk at Joy Church. I think Pastor Clayton and my new church family have deepened my spiritual conviction to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I continue to ask God to use me in whatever way he sees fit. I have also learned not to ignore his voice, nor should I argue with him when he tries to tell me what to do. There was a TV show in the 60s called Father Knows Best, and I agree, our father does know best. Thank you for the privilege of sharing my walk of faith with you. It's so good to have testimonies, isn't it? I think we should do this once a month during Sundays, don't you think? Just to have it be part of our DNA of, like, just sharing. All right. Um, So would you please stand? So get a little, you know, get the blood going, right? Stand, and let's sing together, He Hideth My Soul. Basically, we get to sing all favorites that we like during our Lenten series. Because there's no scripture basis. We're just, 
we're enjoying ourselves. We are. We are. Love and covers me there. 
Thank you. Regina, could I get the clicker, please? I'll give it back. You may be seated. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's actually just have a moment of prayer here. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the love and the joy that you have for us, and our joy is found in you. Guide us in the greater insight depth of what it means to be a, a congregation, a free and living congregation, all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, yes, is indeed, what does it mean to be a free and living congregation? But I know that it was seven days since our last talk. And if you're like me, things just go out of my brain. So I thought it would be good to do a little bit of review. Okay? So let's see what we can do together. So the AFLC is rooted in R-E-Revival. Yes, very good. All right. We're going to have to play hangman here or something like that, right? All right. It is rooted in revival, and that is different than revivalism. Much revivalism is all about emotions. True revival, there is emotion, but you are born again, and it is a work of the Spirit. The AFLC is ultimately a spiritual movement rooted in revival from the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Hauge, he went around Norway, and he was preaching and teaching, and one of the things that he focused on was Lutheran pietism. There you go. I figured if I put pie down there, you would get it, right? Pietism. Now, pietism is simply about living a life unto God, that we are called to be holy as he who called us is holy. So that's really what it is about. It is not just dry doctrine, but really being alive in your faith, living unto the Lord. Okay? And the church, church means the called out ones, right? We are called out by God. That's what church means. It's not just the building. It's not just the place we go to, although we call it the church, right? But the church is really, truly the people, the assembly of believers. Okay, very good. So now there was this guy, George Sverdrup, right? All of these wonderful Norwegian names that we have. George Sverdrup. And his emphasis really was on the local congregation, not the organization, not the hierarchy, but the local congregation. That's really when you see the form of church truly come alive. And when you take a look at the New Testament, that is what the church is. It is local congregations as the kingdom of God. So rather than the state dictating, remember in Norway it was the state, the top-down approach, here he said, you know what, we're not bound by that. No church should be bound by that. And when it says not the state and not just individualistic, 
So in our culture nowadays, we have a lot of people who say, well, I don't need to go to church. I am, I've just got my own spirituality, my own religion. That's not it either. As you've heard me say many times, Christianity is not a solo sport. Okay, I should trademark that, shouldn't I? Christianity, we, we, we need each other. We are designed to be in relationship with each other, to walk alongside each other. Okay, so Sverdrup had two overriding emphasis. The first one is the freedom. Yep, very good. The freedom of the local congregation. And then the life within. Very good. See, I gave you enough clues, right? Okay, good. We're just getting the brain going, right? Getting the rust off here. So the life within the congregation, two overriding things. And thus, really the motto, if you will, for the AFLC is a free and living congregation. That's what's at the core of really who we are. Okay, now, so Sverdrup and another guy, they came to America. They started teaching at Augsburg College, Augsburg Seminary in Minneapolis. And, uh, but there was a lot of infighting because people want to give up their freedom so easily. They want to cede control to some governing body or somebody has an idea of like, well, we have to do top-down approach here. So in 1896, the Lutheran Free Church was founded and it is a voluntary fellowship. Yes, it's not a denomination. It is a fellowship of autonomous congregations that were bound together by a spiritual rather than external bond. So this is really, the AFLC is rooted in a spiritual movement. Even when you go to the uh, all-congregation meeting, so the annual conference, they call it, even if something's voted upon, no one congregation is bound by that vote. I know. So it's pretty radical, right? And it has to be a spiritual endeavor that, that keeps us together. Now, uh, I went last year to the um, annual conference. It was my first one, and uh, I was really blown away. I would love that others would go this year. I can send out information about that. Um, but you just see people who are like-minded in this endeavor. It's just very encouraging. Okay, so they also then, in 1897, created the fundamental principles of the church. There's 12 of them. I went through a number of them last week, and there's a handout there that also has all of the uh, principles in there. And then, okay, I did a lot of history. I just said a lot of infighting, right? And, you know, people vying for power and this and that and all the other stuff. But finally, and, and a lot of people wanted to merge because bigger is better and all of that sort of stuff. And mergers rarely work. And what you find actually is that the course of the merger became very progressive. And it went really off the cliff. But the AFLC was founded then in 1962. So the free church. Now, 
you've seen the symbol, the logo, for a while, but I thought it would be good for you to actually understand what is the logo. So first of all, the blue represents the Bible, and that is the God's Word. That's the foundation, right? At Joy Church, our identity is Bible-based, first thing up. Then it also has the ascending dove. So that's the work, the power of the Holy Spirit within the congregation. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you might have great doctrine, but you're not alive. And then also the vine is about bearing fruit. So it's not just about us being together, but it is about bearing the fruit that we should be bearing as followers of Jesus. So I thought, you, I thought the logo, a little bit of description about that might be helpful. Okay, so that was the review, a little bit about the logo. And now what does it mean to be a free and living congregation? These are two pieces of the puzzle. They go together. You can't have one without the other. So we're not only going to talk about what does it mean to be a free and living congregation, but then what does that mean for us at Joy Church? And we're going to continue that through the rest of the Lenten series. Okay, so what does it mean to be a free and living congregation? So back in 1948, at the 52nd Annual Conference of the Lutheran Free Church, precursor to the Association of Free Lutheran, the president at that time, John Stensvag, don't you love all these Norwegian names, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and by the way, I've never eaten lutefisk, and, and I, I am, I'm fine with that. I, I, no, 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 I, I, you know, no, no, yeah, I draw the line there. Okay, but anyway, so he gave a speech at this conference because there was starting to be a lot of talk about mergers and everything else, and that speech is actually printed out for you. It's what I talked about last week. It has a lot of things in it. I want to let you know he was rebuked greatly by many people after he gave that speech. They did not like what he had to say because how dare he put forth these tenets of the free and, and a free and living congregation and actually call us to action regarding that. So it was quite, quite the speech. So I'm going to reference it along the way. A lot of things I'm pulling out, I'm adding from some other rep material as well. So what does it mean to be a free and free congregation? When you take a look at church hierarchy, right? Normally it's a top-down approach. And what I've got on screen is simply from the Catholic Church. So you've got the Pope, the Cardinals, Archbishops, Bishops, Priests, and then the laity, right? And that's the traditional top-down approach. Approach. Now, you can find that within other church bodies as well, where you've got the bishops and everybody else, and they have to approve everything. It's really easy to think, well, if we want to be free, why don't we just flip that on its head, right? Have the laity be on top, and then the priests and bishops, and our, right? And just flip it on its head. But you know what? 
That's actually not the model either. Neither one of those are the model. This is the model. The congregation. This is foreign to most people's thinking. Because it means we're it. No, I mean really, like, we're it. There is nothing else. We're it. And most congregations don't want to take that responsibility of we are it. So there's a difference in this. And notice it doesn't say it's the pastor's church. I talked about that last week as well. I've had to fight that a lot. When I first came here, the culture was, it's the pastor's church. If I went to the, it was called the board at that time, not, even, not a council. If I didn't bring the agenda to the board meeting, there really wasn't an agenda. I mean, it's like, no, well, pastor, what do you want to do? And we'll go along with you unless we disagree. Did you get that? Yeah. Okay, but that's, all, that's not just me, but that's a lot of congregations. All right, so Sverdrup said this. The only form for the kingdom of God is that we, we find in the New Testament is the local congregation. It is the congregation which is the church, the body of Christ in any given place. As such, it is bound to recognize one and only one authority over itself, the Word and the Spirit. No man-made organization has any right to dictate to the congregations. So when people ask me questions, well, what's proper for the church? Well, what does the Word say, right? And are we being led by the Holy Spirit from the Word, not apart from the Word? Because there's a lot of churches that want to uh, say, well, we're just alive in the Spirit, but they put the Word off over here. You know, the Lord said this. Well, no, he actually said this. It is written. So the authority we have, God's Word, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, is congregational freedom just freedom from hierarchy? And I put a hint in there. As Christians, what are we freed from? Say it. You got it. Sin, right? We are actually freed from sin. That is the freedom that we have. So Romans chapter 6, verse 18 and being made free from sin, you have been made the servants of righteousness. And then from Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So really, our first freedom that we have, the first freedom above anything else, is freed from sin in Christ Jesus. A congregation that is first free from the bondage to sin and worldliness, then second, free from all ecclesiastical, 
I get points for just saying that correctly. It's, it's rare, but I can occasionally say some of those words. That just means the organization, right? How things are formed. Free from all ecclesiastical and state authority, subject only to the Spirit and the Word. That's what it is to be free. Now, I really paraphrase this first uh, up front. First Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So if we are freed then, right, we're freed from sin, we should be obedient servants to Christ and not go back to the things of the past. It's really what it's talking about. But then the question is, okay, how are we liberated, right? How are we freed? And what keeps us from, again, falling back to slavery? Okay, so what do you think? Holy Spirit? Yeah, Holy Spirit's got to be at work in this one. The Word, right? It's the gospel message. It's the gospel message through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes you actually be born again. It is the Holy Spirit through the gospel message that keeps you pointed in the right direction. (laughs) Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit does this to me. Clayton, come here. (laughs) What are you thinking? Get back over there, right? Do you ever have those? Yeah. That, that also is the work of the Holy Spirit. The, my, my version of the three stooges, I think. Okay. I would be the stooge. Okay. In the, uh, do you really want the congregation, that speech? The answer is this. How do we, uh, how are we and how do we stay liberated? By direct, fearless, Spirit-filled preaching of the gospel. That's it. So when we, when I was here, in the very beginning, it's like, well, how do you grow the church, right? And there's a lot of things out there uh, about all these programs you can do. And just do this, and do this, and do this, and you'll have visitors, and overflowing, and all that. But I was like, well, what about the gospel? And what about making disciples? And it was almost schizophrenic for me. And I was just torn back and forth, back and forth. And I finally said, you know what? It's going to be the gospel all or nothing. That's it. Gospel all or nothing. And God has blessed us in that journey. So I become bolder, right? And you know what? If people are offended by the word of God, if I'm, if I'm you know, preaching it rightly and they're offended, well, then nothing on me, right? But it's the gospel, it's the gospel, it's the gospel. That's it. Again and again and again. 
And I've said this before. Why do, why do we preach the gospel all the time? Because we forget it all the time. That's just it. So Paul wrote this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He also wrote this, for, uh, this is from 1 Corinthians, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Too many churches right now have a pastor-centric church where the pastor is put up on a pedestal, which is an awful place to be because there's only one way to go from that pedestal, and that's down, right? But they put their faith in the pastor, not in Christ Jesus. And that's the big difference here. You know, and I've said this before, one of my favorite verses could be a life verse from a song. It's not religious, by the way. It ain't no crime to be stupid, but I still get busted every day. That's a, a refrain. You know, that, that's mine. So I come here not in my power, but in the power of Christ Jesus and his word. See, the role of the pastor, if you were going to talk about the role of the pastor, what would be some things that would come up? What do you think? Preaching? Teaching? A guide? Yep. Clarifying the word? See, I've trained you too well. Most people would say, well, you got to be a, a, a coach, a counselor. You got to make sure we have good programs running. Right? All of those other things, except what you did. <laughs> you are trained too well. Okay, so good. That's good, though. That's good. I like it. Because, really, if you have a long list, and, and I, I've read them before, there's a long list of everything you think a pastor should be, except what a pastor is really called to be. So, Paul wrote this to Timothy. Timothy is protege. He said, I charge you. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus. So how's that to begin with, right? Timothy, I charge you. I command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Have a lot of programs for your church. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He said, Timothy, that's what you got to do. That's the heartbeat of the church, of the role of the pastor within the church. So to preach is to proclaim as a herald. A preacher is to be a herald, you know, <laughs> Right, and I've joked about this too, but all these things coming together. I don't wear skinny jeans. I don't know if I could fit in skinny jeans. But, you know, and I, I don't have the, although I did give myself a haircut, so, I, you know, it turned out okay, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but, but I, I'm not cool. I'm not hip that, in that regard. Uh, and I don't just, hey, I just want to share a little bit of Scripture with you. 
I don't think I'm that either, right? I'm here to actually be a herald of God's word, to proclaim what the Lord God Almighty has said. Apart from the word of God, there is no power in the preacher's words. There is power in his word, and his word will do the work it was intended to do. So it says this in Hebrews, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's the power of the word. Isaiah says this. You probably know this one. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the right thing for which I sent it. My role as a pastor, first and foremost, is to be a herald of God's word and to use his word more than mine because it's his word that actually does the work. Okay, so if we put it together here, a free congregation is first and foremost free from the bondage to sin and worldliness. Second, free from all ecclesiastical and state authority, subject only to the Spirit and to the Word. You got it? That was a big explanation of free. Now, let's go to living. A living congregation. A congregation that is marked by the authentic spiritual life that the work of the Holy Spirit uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word and the sacraments. So it's not the Holy Spirit just apart from, but through the Word and the sacraments. Next week, we'll talk more about the sacraments. So life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit changes you both inwardly and thus outwardly. That's the way it works. So, you've, you know, the, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? When you're alive in Christ Jesus, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Do you all, can you all sing the song? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind. Okay, Regina, I'm going to get you on that one. No one joined in. All right, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to sing it next week, right? All right, but that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it comes because of life in the Spirit. So life in the Spirit is to grow alive and deep in the love and knowledge of Jesus. It is to grow. So if you're growing in the love and knowledge of Jesus, you should also then be growing in love, grace, mercy, repentance, and forgiveness. If there is no inward or outward expression or growth, it might be time to ask, do I have life in the Spirit, or am I just going through the motions? A lot of churches are designed to help you feel good about going through the motions. I've told people many, many times, if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, I'm a really good pastor for that. If you want to just be a churchgoer, I'm annoying. That's, that's, 
I mean, that's really, that's what it is. So a living congregation uses all of their gifts or all of your gifts. The congregation is to be a fellowship of believers in which every gift of grace was encouraged and given the fullest possible chance for expression. Okay. So here we go talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so you get that in your eye, in your mind here. I like this picture, right? It's a cross, but it's all different hands making the cross. So we all, all y'all, we all are given gifts for the common good, for the kingdom of God. Now, um, ministry, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not officially in ministry. Well, but you are, though, because ministry simply means service. That's it means service. To minister to others just to be of service to them. And so the gifts that you've been given are meant to be used. Now, uh, almost a year, coming up on two years, uh, I gave a message about spiritual gifts, and I used this example. Guest towels. Are you supposed to use them? Right? (laughs) Because, right, you're, you're like, my hands are wet. I I don't want to use their bath towel, right? You, you've gone through this. The only option you have is like, and then so you go like this. Because you don't want to use the guest towels, right? A lot of people approach their spiritual gifts in the same manner. Oh, they're just there for show. But no, they're there to be used. So a local congregation, right? A living congregation Everybody is using their gifts, even if you think it's not worthwhile. All the gifts are there for the common good. So John Stensvag in his speech, he says, that means that each member must use his gift in the service of Christ. No talent must be allowed to lie idle. All must be put to use. If people are not participating, contributing to the body of Christ with the gifts you've been given, then it's not a living faith. It's not a living congregation. And I got it. A lot of people think, well, I don't have this gift. We have a number of people who are helping out with a movie. That's ministry. And I don't know if you know this, but our movies... That's one of the best outreaches we have as a church. We've had people join the church because of movies, plain and simple. So it gets the word out there. Now, you might think, well, I I don't know where helping out with a movie was a spiritual gift. I don't remember seeing that on the the list. Uh, I don't think they had movies back in the New Testament time. Um, But it's a gift, right? It's a gift of helping. It's a gift of hospitality. 
All right, so everybody uses their gifts. We just work together. Now, a couple of the things that he talked about here that are very important is prayer. So it says, the living congregation undergirds all its work with prayer. Only as Christians pray singly and in groups can they receive spiritual gifts and be, and be used by God. Hence, a living congregation is a praying congregation. And this is one, do, does, does it look bruised? I, I bang my head on this one so much. People say, oh, I can't pray, I can't pray. Like, you know what? Just talk out loud. How's that? Thank you, God. Help my friend who's dealing with cancer. That's a prayer. You don't have to, by the way, be really official. It's like, and somebody used the use God's name too much. Oh, Father God, yes, Father, Father. I, you know, and they just repeat that. But it would be really weird if I said, "Oh, Bob, Bob, Bob," and you know, just repeated Bob's name every ten seconds. You just pray. But this is part of a living congregation. A living congregation also has a love for souls, especially lost souls, an earnest desire that all the lost be saved. I know this weird word up there just makes people very nervous, but here's how it works. When you are filled, when you are compelled by the gospel, you want to share it because it actually is good news. Just like if you see a good movie, you want to share that movie? Well, that movie, however good it is, doesn't even, it's not on the same scale as the gospel. But witnessing comes because people are filled with the love of Christ and the good, good news. So, putting it together, a living congregation is a congregation that is marked by the authentic spiritual life, by the work of the Holy Spirit through word and sacraments. The congregation is a fellowship of believers in which every gift of grace was encouraged and given the fullest possible chance for expression. And there is a zeal. That's a good word for us to have, by the way, zeal. And I'm just going to put in this It lacks in the AFLC. Zeal lacks within the AFLC. I'm a rebel, even within the AFLC, because of zealousness, actual passion, right? Biblical Lutheran doctrine with the passion of a Baptist. Trademark that too. But right, see, in part, I think, and this is a criticism I do have of the AFLC, it has gone so far on piety, right, being, following God, it becomes about rules a little bit, you know, do this, but you've missed the passion, the zealousness, the life that the founders talked about. But that scripture has too. Zealousness. This is what's been missing 
And I've, I've let some people know about that as well. So these two things, you get it, right? Free and living, two parts of the puzzle that are meant to go together. So this is the model, a free and living congregation. That's the model. That's who the AFLC says they are. They declare themselves to be. But it's hard to live, right? And so the question is for us, do you, do we desire to be a free and living congregation? That's at the heart of it all. So what I'd like to do just briefly is to open it up. Are there questions that have come to mind or comments? All right, I covered it all, right? Was this about the right level for you here? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to take a lot of stuff and just condense it to the essence of it. Okay, well, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life, the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, the life that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray for a joy church to be filled by the Holy Spirit, to truly have the zealousness of following Jesus, of sharing the good news, of praying so fully to you. Uh, This is my prayer, gracious God. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Which is wonderful because it leads into prayer. So let's just do this as we did last week. Uh, just break into some small sections, uh, maybe th- three groups. So there's one group, there's a middle group, and there's another group. There you go. And we'll take some time for prayer. If you are uh, worshiping with us online, just take some time out and pray.
to make the right choices in our lives and our navigation because the time is short. And help, you know, lead us in the direction that you want us to go because it's all about you, God. It's not about us. It's about saving souls and, and making disciples. All right, take just a moment and wrap up, please. All right, if you would wrap up. You know, for for me, it would also be great to have just a prayer, a time of prayer, right? Uh, like a prayer night. They used to do that back in the days, and I think that's something we should consider. Um, just gathering for prayer. That's it. Because I, I could have let you go a lot longer, right? I I think so. There be there's just more fellowship that happens in there, and then we. We carry one another's burdens. Well, would you please stand as you are able, and we will close with leaning on the everlasting. I know. (laughs) There you go. The dueling clickers. joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning
pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. Safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms. See, people have the gift of rhythm. I don't. So if you clap, then I can follow you. All right. Have a blessed night. Thank you for coming out. And we'll see you Sunday.